Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo, how's everybody doing this morning? Awesome, awesome. It's good to be uh, with you this morning. Good to have you here. My name is Mark. My wife and I serve as the lead pastors here. Uh, Good to have you with us. Welcome, greeting to all of you joining us online as well. Good to have you too. Um, But it's good to be together, isn't it? It's good to just gather. It's good to. It's good to. It's good to have people around you that can tell you when you need a breath mint. You know, just saying. I, I, I had a conversation with a gentleman uh, this week uh, in my out and aboutness, and he was telling me uh, that he was he was raised Amish, uh, and and so I said, well, well, wow, so you raised Amish, and then I imagine you know you clearly you're not Amish anymore because you know he had a cell phone, um, and uh, and I just had to ask, I was like, what was it like transitioning from you know growing up in the Amish, like what were what was like the big big things you had to had to figure out? And he goes, well, there was. There was three things I had to figure out. I had to remember to bathe, to put on deodorant, and to change my socks. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, it, when, when I grew up Amish, we only took a bath on Saturday nights because we had church the next day. So we just didn't bathe all week. Uh, we just took a bath, and that's just all I knew. Uh, and, and then, you know, we didn't have worldly English, English is what they call it, English people deodorant, so we didn't have any of that stuff. Uh, and he goes, and, and then, you know, we, we just, we only had a few pairs of socks. You just wore them as long as you wanted to. I said, wow, that, that's, really, that's really interesting. And he goes, yeah, what's, what was great, though, is I figured out that if I put on the deodorant, nobody knew whether I bathed or not. So I just, really, I just had to do the deodorant thing. You know, it's good to have people around you, come on, that can tell you when you need something, amen? It's part of why we, we call people to gather together. We, we, we're grateful for the gift, right, of, of online. We're, we're super grateful for that. But there's something about gathering together, Amen a grace that comes into our life uh, for one another. So, so we're excited about that. Uh, we're in our series through John. So if you got your Bibles, let's go ahead and get to work. We got a lot to cover this morning. Um, uh, we're going to cover, uh, read the entirety of John 17 again. Uh, I got through about a third of my notes last week. So my goal is to get through the other two thirds today. So I'm going to talk fast. So I hope you listen fast. Cool. Let's go to John 17 and let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's word. We love God's word, amen? We love Jesus, amen? We love that Jesus speaks to us through his word. Amen. We turn to his word, we stand to our feet to show honor and and respect to what we're about to read. Uh, If you've been around here at all uh, for any amount of time, you know that much is about to be said, but what is about to be read, come on, is the word of God. So let's, let's turn our hearts to this. John 17, verse 1 out of the ESV. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. 
And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them your words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and, that you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures may be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. Everybody say, that's me. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and I loved them as you loved me. Father, I desire that they, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, Even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. It's a good word this morning, isn't it? Let's pray and thank the Lord for his word. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We praise you, God, for your word. We rejoice over the, the, the hearing of your word. Lord, we, don't, we are not those that have to wait for the fulfillment of your word to rejoice over your word. We are those who hear your word, receive your word, and rejoice at your word simply because we know that you are good for it. That you are not like a man that you should lie, but you speak the truth to us in your word. Your word is truth. Your word is light. Your word is life. 
And so we come to your word this morning, hungry to eat of your word, hungry to hear your voice, declaring that we do not just live off of the food sustenance that we take in, but we live off of the very word that you speak to our hearts. So give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. Give us the supernatural capacity to eat your word, to feed on what you speak to us. And God, I pray that as we hear your word, as we receive your word, as it does its work within us, that its work would be so complete that, Lord, we would be transformed by the hearing of it. Don't let what we hear in this time together remain in a hypothetical, theoretical, theological, doctrinal, sort of religious world. But rather, God, let it go deep within us. Let it, let it penetrate through everything and transform us at the core of our being. Let us see every situation and circumstance in our life differently because of who we know you are and who you say we are. Let us be transformed by grace and by your word for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Would you greet somebody real fast around you and then grab yourself a seat? Amen, amen, amen. I'm going to do something that's very hard for me to try to do, uh, and that is I'm going to do my best to not review everything we talked about last week. Uh, I really feel like we, we need to get to, uh, to get somewhere this, this morning. I really feel like I have an assignment uh, from the Father, so, so I want to make sure we get there. So... Um, so if you're taking notes, and we always encourage that, um, because we believe, come on, that God speaks to us, it's good to write stuff down, amen? Good to go back to it. So uh, if you're taking notes, uh, this is part two. Last week was, was, was proclaim favor, this week is made righteous, the message of God and the person of Jesus. So made righteous, made righteous. Um, we saw this, Jesus, Jesus in John 17 uh, makes seven I have declarations, seven I have statements. Uh, I told you last week, we can kind of think of this, this prayer that Jesus is having with the Father uh, in many different ways, in many different levels. One of those levels is sort of like uh, what, I, what I called, uh, maybe sacrilegiously, a mission update. He was giving him a progress report, a, a, status, a status renewal, like where, where am I at with what you've given me to do? He's sort of going through the checklist. He knows he's, he's on his way out. He's on his way to return to the Father. And so he's, he's kind of having this one last sort of checklist go through all that God has called uh, me to do, all the Father has given the Son to do. We saw these seven. He says, I've accomplished the work you gave me. He said, I've manifested your name. I've given the words you gave me. I have guarded them. I have given them your word. I have sent them into the world and I have given them the glory you gave me. We're, we're kind of making our way through some of these because of this first statement. I have accomplished the work you gave me. Christians, this is where you're about to say amen. amen. I said about to. <laughs> Jeez. Jesus was fully successful in everything the Father gave him to do. There you go. There's nothing left undone. 
And what's amazing, what's, what's really profound to me, and we're going to get into this in a few weeks. I don't have time to get there now. I shouldn't be talking about it right now. But, but what's amazing to me is Jesus makes this statement. I have accomplished the work you gave me. And what hasn't happened yet? The cross. And so there's, there's, there's a mystery here for us. And, and so we've been looking at these seven things. And, and this week, we're going to stay on where we were last week. These, these two ideas. I have given the words you gave me, and I have given them your word. Again, we looked at this last week. We're not, I'm not going to go back there. Those are two different Greek words. One's rhema, one's logos. You can go back and listen to next week's message so we can boost our YouTube viewings. Because um, that's really what we care about around here. We're like, really, YouTube church. That's what we're all about. Um, no, so, so Jesus, Jesus, what I, what I tried to explain to us last week was that Jesus is God's words and word to all of humanity. Jesus is everything the Father has to say about himself to us as his people. You don't need to go anywhere else. You don't need to go searching. You don't need to climb a mountain. You don't, you don't need to find a guru. You don't need to have some grand experience. Hey, okay, charismatic people. Hey, hey, no one needs to pray for you. You don't got to learn how to rub your head and pat your belly, right? Jesus has accomplished. I mean, Jesus is everything that God wants you to know about himself. What you need to do, what you need to be, what we need is a greater fascination with Jesus. Let me say it, let me say it in, in $16 words. We need a more Christocentric life. We need to be more obsessed with the person, the character, and the nature of Jesus because in it we discover everything that God wants to tell us about himself. And at the very genesis of Jesus' ministry, he declares Isaiah 61 as being fulfilled by his coming. We, we read this in Luke 4, 16 through 21. We're not going to go back there this morning. Uh, I would, I would say that Isaiah 61, the first part of Isaiah 61, can be viewed as sort of the, the if, if this prayer in 17 is a mission update, 61, 1 through 3 is really the, the mission parameters that Abba gave the son to fulfill in his earthly mission. So I do want us to go there. So if you've got a Bible and you still want to spin there, you can. But if not, it'll be up on the Sky Bible and you can just read along there. Uh, this is Isaiah 61, the first three verses. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Remember, Jesus read these words in the synagogue in his day. The, the spirit of the Lord, is, uh, Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Verse 3, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he, come on, that he may be glorified. Okay, Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to do what? To bring what? What is the message of Jesus? What is the message of Jesus? Jesus' message to us is good news. If you're here and you went to a church at some point in your life and somebody told you that, that they were going to speak to you for God and they gave you a message that was anything other than good news, I'm here to tell you they were wrong. His message is good because he, come on, is good. 
So the message that the, that the Father gave the Son to bring to us is a message of good news. It's good in all of its parts. Even the parts, come on, come on, come on. Even the parts that may not seem good to us at one level. We know that it's actually good. So Jesus comes and proclaims this goodness to us. He has come to do what, 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 what we call the exchange. Luther called it the great exchange. Athanasius called it the glorious exchange. He's come to exchange his goodness for your poverty. His goodness for your poverty. Come on, his wholeness for your brokenness. His liberty for your bondage. His victory for your captivity. How many people want to, want to, want to admit right now with your mouth by saying amen that that's a good trade? That, that's, a good, that's, that's, that's a good trade. That's a fantastic deal. Right? That's, that, that's wonderful. That's amazing. If we just stopped there, which we did last week. That's, that's, that's more, come on, that's more than good enough. Amen? If all he did was that, then I would say that that, was, that seems to me to be pretty good news. That he, he imparts his goodness in place of my poverty. He imparts his wholeness in place of my brokenness. His liberty in place of my bondage. His victory in place of my captivity. If all he did was that, it would be good. But here's what I want to tell you. It's dangerous to just stop there, and God knew that. It's dangerous to just stop there. Because all of this stuff is surface level stuff. Do you see that? It's all situational. And we have learned, listen, listen, we've learned through years and years and years of trying to help people that if you, listen, listen, if you change people's situation, but you don't change them, they go right back to the situation. This is why, I'm just going to, I'm just going to emails. This is why the reincarceration rate in America is over 80%. Because locking somebody away and telling them you did bad, go, the, I mean, literally, go to the corner doesn't change who they are. All we do is lock them up, frankly, with a bunch of other jacked up people and wonder why when they come out, they're just as jacked up, if not more jacked up than when we put them in there. This is because the world can only fathom retributive justice. This is why rehab doesn't work for most people. Because I pull you away, and if all you do is just, just stay clean for 28 days, we think, okay, well, now we'll send you back out. But if nothing has been transformed inside, you just go right back to it. You just return back to the old way of life. But here's the good news. Jesus does more than alter our circumstances. He transforms our substance. Come on, he changes who we are. We are not what we once were. We are transformed. You receive the impartation of Jesus, not just a legal transfer, but a legitimate transformation. You know I'm going to read the verse. You knew I was going to read the verse. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become what? An entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. I'm proposing to you that that new happens 
for us experientially through this this passage, through Isaiah 61 verse 3. That in the midst of this, in the midst of this, this thing where Jesus, where, where, where God declares that he's going to grant this exchange, it's not just a circumstantial exchange. He does that. Praise God. Amen? I'm glad he changed my circumstances. But he doesn't stop there. He presses forward and, and exchanges even more with us. So in the exchange, we receive a new way of thinking, a new way of feeling, a new way of responding, and even a new way of being. Now, I'm going to go through this really, really fast because I, I, I want, I, I've, I've taught on this an entire series before. I'm sure in the way, way back machine on the internet, you can probably find it. I don't know. Here it says I taught on, on a whole series we called The Exchange several, several years ago before even the merge. Uh, and, and, I, and I walked through all of this, and I, I, I wish I had time to unpack all of it again, but I actually feel like the Lord's kind of given me another piece of this that I want to make sure we get to. So I'm going to go really quick through this. And if you're like a, a note taker that wants me to unpack everything so you can kind of fill in everything, it's just not going to happen today. Just ask the Holy Spirit and he'll tell you. And if not, it's probably because of unrepentant sin in your life. <laughs> I love that I can joke like that in this house now and all you know that that's just horse pucky. Or as I taught you before, scubala. Um... All right, we're, we're, we're going to jump through these things. So I, I want to look at these, these new things. So a new way of thinking. Come on, come on. I want, I want you right now, I'm going to make you do this. I know, we, we, we practice talking today, so I know you know how to talk. So I want you to look at somebody around you and say, I have a new way of thinking. Well, you have a new way of thinking. This is, we get this from beautiful headdress for ashes. Where, where do we get that from that? That doesn't make sense, preacher. What do you mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, different versions of the Bible, different translations translate this differently. Some translate it as ashes or dust or sorrow. Ultimately, this is a picture of how, how in the, 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 the culture of the day when they would, would, would go through a, a, either a, a, a season of mourning or sorrow over sin, they would literally put ashes on top of their heads. This is to represent a dead way of thinking. This is to represent our sorrow being that which controls the way we think, our emotions being in charge of our thinking. But in its place, we're given a beautiful headdress, or some say a crown, or beauty, or a garland. One, one translation I found, just out of nowhere, put, put turban. I loved that one. What does that mean? What's, 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 what's the text trying to get at here? Ultimately, what this is a sign of is trying to talk about the, the, the crowns that royalty would wear in their day. We, in our day, understand the value and the scarcity of things like precious metals and gems and jewels. So our, the royalty in our day, uh, they, they wear, they wear you know, gold crowns with jewels in them. But, it, but if you remember, some of you even remember this from school. If you, if you go back in, in the times even before, even after this was written, and, and certainly back then, the crowns that were worn then were usually made out of living branches, why? Because if you were in a place like a desert and you had the capacity to get brought to you living flowers that still had, still had scent, still had, still had life in them, that was a greater status symbol than some metal you could put around your head. What, what God is telling us here is he's trying to give us a new, beautiful, come on, alive, living, active way of thinking. I think the, 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 the turban part is literally trying to say he's protecting us, come on, from a terrestrial influence in the way that wants to corrupt the way we think. He's giving us a new way of thinking, amen? Here's, here's the truth, here's the truth. You already declared it to your neighbor, you have a new way of thinking. Put it another way, you have a new mind. Here's the problem, beloved. Your new mind is in your old skull. All the wives just said amen, right? 
Come on, your, your new mind is still, it's still stuck in your old skull. To put it another way, you're expected to think new with the old brain. Right? There, there was no part in your, in your conversion where, where somebody asked to vacuum suck your brain out of your nose and put a new one in your head. Right? So, so your, your, mind, your, your mind is new, but your skull is old. And so the, the idea is that that new that's within you is renewing that which is not yet renewed. That's supposed to be the process that we're going through. And so I want to convince you, come on, of the new mind that you have. So let's go to the Bible. Your new mind. Here's just four, I just picked these four just real quick. These four things. Your new mind can take every thought captive. Okay, pastoral moment here. Pretend like we're at your favorite coffee shop and we're just hanging out, okay? Not every thought you think is worth thinking. You, I love you. You have a limited capacity to think. I know it might not seem that way, right? But you, have a li- you only have room for so many thoughts in your head. Don't think all of them. <laughs> I, m- I remember having a conversation with a young person uh, years ago, and he was saying, well, well I, what I believe is this. And he kept saying, well, I believe is that. I said, why do you believe that? He goes, well, that's just what I think. I said, who is dumb enough to th- believe their own thoughts? Come on, we, we, need a, we need something higher than our own thoughts. You can take every thought captive. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. We're not going to read it, but you can write it down. You can study it on your own. Your mind is renewable, according to Romans 12, 2. Your mind can be, so if you say, well, I've tried to take thoughts captive, then renew your mind. Get it new again. Come on. I, I think about this sometimes when people go, well, Christians are just brainwashed. I'm like, man, I hope my brain is washed. I know the jacked up, messed up stuff that's up there. It needs a good washing. Your mind can be renewed. Your mind is set on things above. Come on, that's Colossians 3.2. Another one, if you want to jot it down, that would go along with that would be Philippians 4.8, where Paul commands us to set our minds, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, whatever is holy, whatever is peaceful, whatever is kind. We set our mind on those things. And last, and this better get a shout from Christians, your new mind is actually the mind of Christ. How stinking cool is that? So next time you say, I'm not good at and something that involves your brain, you're saying that about the mind of Christ. Your old mind might not be good at it, but your new mind is. I gotta, I gotta read that one because it's just it, it's, it sounds too good to be true. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have, come on, have, the mind of Christ. Well, no, it's if you, if you climb, you know, the, the mountain in Israel and you go to the top and you, no, 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 there's nothing you have to, you have it. Come on. If you are in Christ, you have it. Again, let me be clear. This message is for Christians. If you're not, if you're not a believer here this morning, nothing that I'm talking about applies to you, but don't worry. There's an on-ramp at the end that gets you back to the beginning. Talk about it in a minute. But you have the mind of Christ. Hello, hello, hello. You have the mind of Christ. His mind is your mind. You have a new mind. How good is your new mind? It's the same mind he has. He doesn't give you a junior Christ mind. He gives you the very mind of Christ. Next, we have a new way of thinking. Again, going quick here because we got to get somewhere. New way of thinking. This is the oil of, oh, sorry, new way of feeling. This is the oil of gladness for mourning. Gladness in Hebrew literally means to be glad, to be joyful, to exult, not ex- to be to exultation, not exaltation, but exultation, to, to, to participate in rejoicing. What am I saying? That this, this, this word here is not surface level chipper. 
Come on, we all know people like that, right? The coyingly sweet, happy people. Come on, Northwest people don't tend to like those people. Because we have to live without the sun for like nine months out of the year. Send those people to California where they belong. I'm not talking about some sort of, there's sort of this idea, come on, within the church, that well, if you're a Christian, you should be happy all the time. I'm not talking about that kind of happy. I'm not talking about that kind of emotion. Come on, it's good to be happy, but what we're promised here is an oil of gladness. Everybody say gladness. This is the new default setting for those born out of the witness of the goodness of God. This is deeper down than just happiness. I can be unhappy and still filled with gladness. I can be experiencing trials and tribulation and still have the joy of the Lord. That doesn't mean that I just have to wear a fake smile all the time. But I love the fact, I love the fact that Isaiah calls this oil. Got me wondering, why oil? So I looked up the, he, the Hebrew here for oil, and I, I think there's some amazing things about this. Why oil? This, this word for oil here is the oil of anointing. What does that mean? It means that when, when you are anointed by somebody, you are anointed by somebody. You, you didn't anoint yourself. That's just called spilling. So the gladness, come on, that's being talked about here, is not something you have to go out and get and find and, and pour on yourself. It's something he gives you. We read it in John, in John 17, that my joy may be in them. He's doing all this so that we can experience his joy. It's an anointing. It's, it's an anointing given to us by another. This word for oil here also is the same word for an ointment, like a medicine. Come on. How many of you remember Proverbs, right? That, that, that joy does good like a medicine. There is, there is something about the oil of gladness coming upon us that that heals, come on, I'm talking to somebody this morning. It heals our broken emotions. Am I the only one that, that's gone through some stuff? I did some stuff to myself. I had some people do stuff to me. I had me do some stuff on purpose. I had me do some stuff accidentally that messed with my emotions. That, that messed with my ability to feel things right. There were seasons of my life where it was, it was as if there were just emotions that weren't there anymore. Come on, this is what trauma and difficulty does to us. Where we go through something like, I, sh I should be happy about this. But there's no happy there anymore. I should, th come on, come on, come on. I should feel sorrow over this, but I'm just numb. What does, what does this exchange do for us? The oil of gladness comes and heals like a medicine our emotions this is why I'm saying it's not just surface level chipper. It actually restores to us the oil of gladness. Come on, come on. The oil of gladness restores to us a full spectrum of our emotional capacity. So you can feel everything. Another reason I think that God calls it oil, I know this is weird maybe, but anybody ever spilled oil on your clothes? Even with all of our technical mumbo jumbo jargon stuff in tech, it's hard even now to get oil off of your clothes. Okay, let's just be transparent. Um, uh, I went to grab something to wear this morning, and then I, because it's good to wear stuff to church, um, and, uh, and I, I grabbed something, and I, I, was, I was about halfway out the door, and I looked down, and, and I, had I knew I had spilled something on, my, on, my, on, on the hoodie I was wearing, but, but I didn't realize that it was oil. So even though I washed it, it was still there. And I, I want you to like me, so I, I don't want you to think that I wear dirty clothes, so I put it back, I had to change. 
right? Because oil's hard to get off. This gladness is not supposed to be something that just sort of comes in a moment and leaves in a moment and is just fleeting. It's supposed to stick to us. Come on. But then I also love this one, man. It is a symbol. This, this word oil here is a symbol for fruitfulness or fatness. Come on, Isaiah 10, where it talks about the, the anointing. Come on, where are my charismatic people at? The anointing breaks the yoke. Right? I remember, I remember hearing that when I was a kid. I actually heard one preacher, not making this up. I was leading worship at like a hyper-prophetic thing, and he was like, yeah, the reason for that is, you know, if you, if you oil up an oxen, the, 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 the yoke will just slip off. That was one of the weirdest pictures I ever had in my head. It's like, don't put that in my head. And that's fine, I, I, but the truth is what it really means, literally, what, what that verse really says is that because of the favor of the Lord that comes upon us, because of the, the, the wholeness that comes into our life, because of the oil of gladness, that the oxen grows so big that he'll snap that yoke. There is a fruitfulness to your emotions that's supposed to be there that breaks off the bondage, come on, that life tries to put on you. I think this is an even better trade than it was before. How about you? So we have a new way of thinking. We have a new way of feeling. We're moving quick. We have a new way of responding. This is the garment of praise for our faint spirit. New way of responding. As people who experience such extravagant, extraordinary grace, goodness, and love, our new default response is thanksgiving and praise. That's why, man, I love that new song that we're doing. That in the, come on, in the blessing and in the pain, you're worthy. Come on, come on, come on, come on. How good is, whether you say yes or no or wait, I'll tell you the truth, I'm good with the first two. I'm still working on the third one. Just being honest, like I'm good. Like uh, you can tell me no and I'll, I'll hear no. You can tell me yes and I will hear yes. You tell me to wait? Am I waiting for a yes or am I waiting for a no? Just wait. <laughs> Come on, you remember when you were a kid and you asked your parents something like, mom and dad will talk about it. And you're like, damn. Right? Because you got no clue. You don't know what's going to happen. I'm good with yes. I'm good with no. Waiting is tough. Come on. Our new default orientation, our new default response is supposed to be, come on, worship, exaltation, praise. If the oil of gladness is about exaltation in our emotions, then the garment of praise is about exaltation of our God. The word literally means songs of praise, shouts of thanksgiving, a public gratitude. I love this. It is the response that is the praise demanded by the deeds, qualities, and attributes of who God is. Our praise is the demanded response because of his deeds, because of his qualities, and because of his attributes. So then I got to wonder, again, I just, I, I don't know about y'all, I ask the Bible questions. Like why? Like, like why is this called a garment of all things? So again, I, we, we, we go to the text, we go, we go, and we find out this word garment literally means a wrap or a mantle. So let me just throw out three things here real fast. Three reasons why I think it's a garment. It's given as a gift. A mantle was something given to you by somebody else. Think Joseph and his robe of many colors. Think Elisha receiving the mantle from Elijah. He gets to the end, and Elisha's like, hey, uh, since you're retiring, don't I get your mantle? And what does, Elisha, what does Elijah say? He doesn't say, yeah, you've done such a good job, you've earned it. No, he says, hey, man, look, that's not up to me. I'm going to get taken up, and I guess if, if God drops it on you, it's yours. If not, good luck getting to the other side of the lake. A little paraphrase there, but it's implied. Um, 
Right, so, so it's something given to us. Do you realize that, that the ability to praise God is a gift he gave you? Oh, that we would cease to take for granted the gift of praising him. I'm gonna pastor our church for a minute. This church should be more full on our worship nights. I love you. It's a gift to get to praise, and it's a gift to get to praise together. You're like, well, I can praise Jesus by myself. Yeah, you can, but I love you. You suck at it. You do, I love you. 99, it's like one of you is like, I don't. Okay, fine, you're not, but everybody else does, and you know who I'm talking about. You're like, I can praise Jesus by myself. Okay, how often do you do it? The 19th Tuesday of the 14th month? <laughs> Come on, it is a gift given to us. This mantle also, why is it called a mantle? Because our praise is supposed to distinguish us. Do you realize, according to Deuteronomy, you are the only people on the planet allowed to worship God? He, he looked over all the people of the earth, the scriptures say, and we're going to get into this, and I know it makes some of you uncomfortable, but that's okay, because election's in the Bible. So, so he looked over all of the people of the earth, and he went, yeah, these are mine, and I'm going to be their God, and they're going to be my people, and you got to hear this. That's worship language. We're the only ones. We're distinguished of all people. We get to worship, and on top of all of that, why else do I think it's a garment? Because it's a choice we get to make. You get to choose whether to put it on or not. It's not just, come on, come on, come on. It's not, it's not, God does not just come down and just rewire you so that it just automatically happens. Some of you are waiting for just an overflow. And listen, listen, come on, come on, come on, talk to me. There are moments where it's an overflow, amen? Where, where his goodness, come on, where his graciousness is so real, so tangible, that literally you can't help but do anything else. But come on, when you don't feel like that, he's worthy of the same worship that he is when you feel it. It's a garment you put on. Come on, I'm, I'm really glad. Let's talk, let's talk, let's talk. I need, I need, I need some, I'm, I think I'm supposed to call y'all seasoned saints, people who've been around for a while. I'm real, I love you, I'm really happy we don't gotta wear suits and ties anymore. Come on, ladies, I'm, I'm, I think you're happy. We don't, we don't gotta wear long dresses all the time and, hair, and hats all the time. Right? Like, you wanna wear one, like, you're welcome to wear it here, like, we ain't, nobody's gonna judge you. Right? But I'm really happy we don't got to get dressed up to go to church anymore. But here's what I want to tell you. There is an appropriate attire that you need to have on when you come into church, and it's your garment of praise. Oh, no, 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 no. You said amen to that too fast. The worship team shouldn't have to tell you to put it on. <laughs> Pastor, that was really good. Thank you for that. That was awesome. I really appreciate you. I know. You're, you're good, brother. Sit down. Worship shouldn't kick in two-thirds through the second song. Come on, we're just, we're just talking. We're just talking. It should be the garment, just like you wouldn't come in here without your pants on, praise Jesus. You shouldn't come in here without, come on, your garment of praise on. Yes, you should wear, look, I just, somebody, somebody's going to email me like, well, we should always be praising because praise is our entire life. You're right, absolutely right. So why, you're right, I'm admitting you're right, now admit I'm right. It's called negotiation. You're right. We should pray. Our entire lives are worship before the Lord. Yes and amen. And so is this. So that does not negate this, and this does not negate that. We show up with our garment on. It's a choice I make. This is part of why we're doing these, we're practicing, as we're calling it, these nine psalmic expressions in worship. So that you, you just learn that, hey, I can do this even when I don't feel like it. 
Even when I don't feel like, look, look, when you feel like kneeling, kneel. When you feel like shouting, shout. When you feel like clapping your hands, clap your hands. When you feel like playing an instrument, talk to Lindsay, audition for the worship team. But, <laughs> I love you. Um, when you feel it, do it. But I'm telling you, when you don't, come on, put on the garment anyways. Clap your hands anyways. Say he's good anyways. Because he is. Because he's worthy. Because he's worth it. So we have, a new, come on, we have a new way of thinking, we have a new way of feeling, we have a new way of responding. All of this flows, all of this flows from the next one. We have a new way of being, everybody say being. He calls us oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Come on, he calls us oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. I want you to see that this one is different. I'll be honest with you. I, I, when I talked through this last time, I did not see that it was different. By the way, let me just take an aside real fast. Let me just, just talk to you for a minute. If you're looking for a pastor who has everything figured out and is never learning anything new, then don't come to my church. Because <laughs> I don't. I'm still learning stuff. This bothers some people. When I say, I'm learning about this, like, well, you should really have your stuff figured out by now. You're right. <laughs> but I don't and neither do you. And some of y'all are older than me, so neener, neener. Okay, like, 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 like this is something I didn't see before. Every other one, here's what I didn't see. Every other one, he says, I'm gonna give you this, and I'm gonna take this from you, right? It's an exchange. You give me your, 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 your ashes, I'll give you a beautiful headdress. This one, he just says, you're going to be oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. There is no exchange here. There is no exchange here. Now, now, now I want to talk about this idea of the righteousness. You've learned, and I'm not going to go back and re-preach all this. You've learned righteousness in, in the New Testament sense in a, in a, from a Greek perspective, right? Diokousine, right? We learned this Greek word before. This is the word that, that literally means, we, we've, we've learned, come on, come on, real fast, review. We, we learned when we were kids, right? If you grew up in church, hung around the church, that righteousness is being in right standing with God, right? That's what we all learned, right? Righteousness is right standing with God. The problem with that is, is that that's a product, a byproduct, not the actual thing. You, 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 the problem, if, if all you think is, is that you're, you're put standing in front of God, righteousness is you standing in front of God, you know, you know that you don't belong there. So you'll leave there. But when you understand righteousness from a Greek, actual New Testament, new covenant perspective, the, the word diaukosene literally means one who is in the state as he ought to be. It's you as you ought to be. You being righteous in a new covenant perspective, in a New Testament perspective, in a Greek perspective, is you are made right as you ought to be. Now, where are you meant to be? In the presence of God. You were designed to be an image bearer of God, to be gazing upon him and reflecting out that which you see. So does righteousness result in right standing with God? Yes. But first he makes you right. And so now your default position becomes here. So to be anywhere else other than in the presence of God is not where you ought to be. You are, come on, as you ought to be. But here's the thing. This is an old covenant understanding of righteousness, and I think we need to understand both. In Greek, we, 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 get the, we get the new covenant perspective. But we need to understand the old covenant perspective as well. In Hebrew, righteousness has to do, catch this please, 
with being faithful to the covenant that you're under. I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time. I don't have time to walk you through the covenants within the scriptures. But throughout time, God has interacted with people based upon covenant. And if you were keeping your covenant, you were considered righteous. You track it with me? And here, the promise is that he will make you oaks of righteousness. Now, now I don't mean to bother anybody, but, but it's, it's, it, the, the Hebrew's not really oaks. It literally just means a strengthened, strong, sturdy tree. The idea here is something stable and solid. It's something that doesn't shift or change or move. So the idea then, let's put these things together. The idea is that you have been made to be one who perfectly keeps the covenant that you are under. And a bunch of you are like, uh, then I'm not in the covenant. Because our minds go to the list of all the stuff that we think we're supposed to do and we think we have to, we go back to, right, like, like depending on where you, come on, depending on where you sort of came up in the Lord, you, you go back to the Ten Commandments and you're like, well, if I put that in the, the, under, the, under the, the, the filter that Jesus put it under, like, nope, I fail at all of them. Right? Some of us were, were given lists by, by good meaning, well meaning people trying to tell us how to live our lives. Okay, yeah, sure, I, I get that, but, but, but nope, that's not it either. So we, we try to stack ourselves up around all these external lists, but the promise of the new covenant is that God's going to do something internally, not something externally. But it gets even better than that. Here's why you are keeping your covenant perfectly if you are in Christ. Because we have, catch this please, a better covenant. Why is our covenant better? It is better, I'm here to tell you, our covenant is better in every single way. You cannot name me a way that the old covenant was good that I can't tell you the new covenant is better. Here, here's part of it. Do you realize, do you realize that the covenant that you're under is, is, I can say you're keeping your covenant perfectly because you don't have to keep your covenant because Jesus is keeping your covenant for you. In fact, if we really want to dive into this that I don't have time to do and I don't know why I'm talking about this right now, the covenant that you're under, you're a beneficiary of, you're not a member of. Because the covenant, we read about it in John 17. This is one of the places we're going to go. That's why it's going to take us forever to get to John 17. The covenant is made between the Father and the Son. So that's why you can keep your covenant perfectly. Because he's keeping it for you. Because it, the, the deal's between them for you. It's not you like, well, okay, okay, okay. I have a new covenant for you. And it's, it's a little bit easier than the last one. That's what I thought the new covenant was a slightly easier, not as good covenant. But the reality is it's better in every way. And so we are called righteous because we are always keeping our covenants. You are righteous in both a new covenant, New Testament Greek idea, and in an old covenant, Old Testament idea. Hebrew or Greek, you're righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21, you knew I was going here too. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Who's he talking about? Jesus, the Father made the Son to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You are as righteous as God. That ought to bother some religious people. The exits are clearly marked. I hope your body stays here and your religion leaves. But I'd rather you, you know, 
Leave happy, then stay angry. (laughs) You are as righteous as God. That offends every religious bone in my body. Because it sounds like, it sounds like I'm diminishing God's righteousness, doesn't it? But that's not what Jesus did. He elevated ours. He says, like, we, we can share. We, we, we can share righteousness together. You, you, you have, we have a joint account. As oaks of righteousness, come on, as oaks of righteousness, we are perfectly kept in him. Now, here's what I want to say. Here's what I need us to get to, and this, this, is, this, is, this, is, the, this is the, the really new part. I believe, let me go back to here. Let me go back to, can I do this? Can I do this? I don't know if I can do this. I can do this. Thinking, feeling, responding. Thinking, feeling, responding. Being. I don't think the first three can happen until we get this last fourth one. I don't, I, come on, I don't think we can get the last one. I don't think we can, I don't think we can, we can understand our being, until we understand our being is different, we'll always struggle because, because we'll have what, 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 what people call imposter syndrome. You'll always feel like, well, I'm thinking these new thoughts, but they're not really my thoughts, they're somebody else's, I'm just pretending. I'm just sort of putting on a show. I'm just performing. And the reality is until we learn that, no, 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 our being, come on, come on, beloved, our being has been transformed. Come on, he doesn't just alter our circumstances. He utterly transforms our self. Our substance is different. You are different because of him. Come on, let's see this. Romans, 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 oh, come on. This, this, this passage has been so messing with my theology over the last two years. Keep going back to it. I'll come back to it morning after morning. I'm like, Lord, th- how? How did I miss this? And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. That's what being in Christ means. We learned this, right? Resting, relying, receiving, trusting him. But believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from apart from anything you do. Completely separated from your behavior. Oh, be careful, preacher. You're giving people a license to sin. I've met a lot of people in my life. Not one of them ever needed a license to sin. They were happy to sin without a license just like I was happy to drive without one before Jesus, which was also a sin. But I was also in Guam, so they didn't really care. I was literally driving down the road in Guam, 14 years old, driving a car, 15 years old maybe, I don't know, driving a car, going about 60 in a 35. And I got passed by a cop who flipped me off for going too slow. God bless the islands. Um, (laughs) Blessed are those whose lawless deeds, praise God, are forgiven and whose sins are covered. 
Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. I, I just, I just got to give it to you in the passion because Dr. Simmons does such a phenomenal job pulling out some of the nuances of these Hebrew words that it's just fantastic. Even King David himself speaks to us regarding the complete wholeness that comes inside a person when God's powerful declaration of righteousness is heard over our lives. How are you still sitting down? Apart from our works, God's work is enough. Here's what David says. What happy fulfillment is ahead for those whose rebellion has been forgiven and whose sins are covered by blood. I always got to stop us here. I always got to stop us here. David's sins can only be covered by blood. Our sins are removed by his blood. They're not just covered up. We're not just snow-covered dung. Come on. We are utterly transformed. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You are a son of God. What happy progress comes to them. When they hear the Lord speak over them, I will never hold your sins against you. This is why what I'm telling you is not a license to sin. You will keep sinning until you hear this. Prove it, preacher. Look at your life. Who? None of you got better at not sinning by trying to get better at not sinning. Come on, I took every online course, I read every book, I went to every accountability group, I had stuff on my phone, I had stuff on everything, I had accountability partners, I had all of it. None of it helped do anything but behavior modification. Until I learned, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, why the heck am I not living like it? I have access to something better than try harder? I thought all I had was try harder, so I tried harder. Paul talks about this. He was, he was more zealous than everybody, but it didn't change who he was. Here's the part that really freaks me out as I dive into this. It's what King David says. Complete wholeness comes inside a person when God's powerful declaration of righteousness. Then go down past it. Happy fulfillment is ahead of those whose rebellion has been forgiven, right? And then in, in verse 8, it says what happy progress Listen, 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 listen. I, I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time. Just, 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 give, me, just give me a second. I always believed, no, 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 I was always taught that I had to make progress in order to be happy. And that once I was happy enough, I would, I would, I would, I would have a sense of wholeness. And once I was whole enough, then God would say I was righteous. And that's literally the opposite of how God says it works. You have to hear him, you have to hear him declare you righteous. And once that happens, that's when the wholeness comes. And once that wholeness comes, all of a sudden, come on, my emotions begin to shift and all of a sudden joy and happiness start to fill my life. Happy fulfillment. My life becomes fulfilled. You go, well, have you accomplished this? Have you done this? No, no, no. I'm just happy. Are you still, listen, listen. I got happy I got happy before I got experientially free. That wasn't supposed to happen. I needed to earn my freedom first, then I could be happy. No, I had to get happy or I would never get free. And then after that, after that joy came, then the progress came. This is why it's living by faith. I'm trusting him. I'm relying upon him. I'm resting in him. I'm trusting his goodness, not mine. I'm trusting his capacity, not my capacity. The exchange will never truly happen in you 
until you believe his declaration over you. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. This exchange, all this new way of thinking, a new way of feeling, a new way of responding, a new way, all of that, you will just be, you will just pile that into the works pile until you find out he has made you right, until you hear as, as a messenger from him, I want to say it to you, but you have to hear him say it. And I'm going to say it doesn't just have to be heard, it has to be pierced within you. Hebrews 5.13, every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not yet what? Pierced by the revelation of righteousness. You are not yet convinced in the inner parts of who you are that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That you are as righteous as God is righteous. You go, I will be righteous like God is righteous someday. No, you is now. That is liberty to start living like it. Come on, come on. The, whole, the, the, the righteousness comes, then the wholeness comes, then the happy pro, the fulfillment comes, then, come on, the progress comes. You know why, you know why churchianity didn't work? Because it was backwards. Like every other religion. But I've told you this before, and I've gotten emails from you, so let me just go ahead and tell you to you again. Jesus did not come to start the world's best religion. Jesus came to utterly obliterate all religion and bring us back to Abba. That's what he did. That's what he has accomplished. You will never, true, this will never happen to you until you believe his declaration over you. So, so let me, let me, if you'll let me, and this is, I can't make you let me, but if you'll let me, please hear me. You hear me. Not, not your neighbor, not your grandma, not your friends, not the person you wish was here. You. You are righteous. You are forgiven. That's, that's who you are. That's who you are. You go, well, well, I did this and I, no, no, no. You are. Come on, you're forgiven. He will never count your sins against you. You are free from their influence. You are who you should be in him. The old you is dead and gone. All things have become new. Come on, you have to be personally, privately, powerfully pierced by that revelation. And I'm here to tell you, you need to hear it right now, but you need to soak in it for a while. And when, when everything comes against you and says it's not true, we live by faith. This is hard because when our own experience, oh no, 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 not too easy preacher. When our own behavior says it's not true, we have to go, no, no, no I believe him more than I believe my behavior. I'm going to wrap this up with this. I don't have time to unpack it. I wish I did. You will continue to struggle with old dead patterns of thinking, ways of feeling, habits of responding, and states of being until you admit and abandon your self-effort and your self-righteousness and fully embrace and entrust who Jesus is 
and know that what he has done is enough for you. You'll keep, you'll keep struggling and you'll keep coming to me and you'll keep coming to your belonging. You'll keep coming to other pastors. You're like, how do I get through this? How do I do how? It's, when you come to me, I love you. I love you. I'm not looking at anybody because so many of you have come to me with this. I just feel mean. When you come to me with hows, I know you haven't been pierced by this yet. Because we're still under the, no, 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 I need to do something. What's the thing I need to do? The Bible makes it clear. Your righteousness is doo-doo. Filthy rags. It's doo-doo. It's you, you trying to do. Well, what do I need to do to be able to, no, 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 no. You need to be pierced. Come on. Until then, you're just going to be an infant drinking milk. You're still part of the family. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you're not, you don't belong to him. But I'm saying you'll continue to struggle with these things until you find out that who he is is enough. What he has done is enough. And therefore, what he says to you is more true than anything you can come up with on your own. And then before you know it, you're thinking different. And you're feeling different. And you're responding different. And it's not based on your self-effort. And it's not a manifestation of your self-righteousness. It's just him. It's just his goodness. Because listen to me, he's just that good. Come on, he's just that good. Let's stand to our feet. I have so much more I want to say and so not time to say it. The good news is we got next week. I'm not in a hurry to get through this stuff. Some of y'all look at me like, didn't we learn this already? No, you didn't. Because listen, okay, <laughs> already losing friends. I might as well just keep going. Um, <laughs> I hope y'all have fun. I have fun. Um, if you come to me and you keep saying, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? I know that the, the hasn't pierced yet. I know if you say, okay, well, next. What's next? You haven't been pierced yet. Hasn't happened yet. Because I've been, I've been living under this specific word from the Lord, honestly, almost exclusively for five years, and I'm not sick of him saying it to me yet. And if I, I've only been saying it to you for like a year, so. What I'm trying to tell you is this. This well is deeper than we realize. What am I trying to say by that? The stuff we've been looking for is down deep in this hole. Come on, the, the, the wholeness, the fulfillment, the progress, it's, it's not found somewhere else. It's found as we continue to burrow into the word and words that Jesus has given us. Jesus tells us that the Father is good. That in him there is only light and life. Amen? I want to just give us space this morning to let Holy Spirit pierce us with that revelation to go deep, to uproot. Come on, we, we talk about this, right? To tear down and to build up.
I love that he does both. Come on. Because there's areas in my life that need to be torn down. And there's areas in my life that need to be built up. And I'm so glad I don't have to find different contractors for those jobs. I just go to Holy Spirit and he does it all. So we're going to respond. I do want to open up our, our normal ways of responding, of, of celebration, contemplation, and communion, right? I want to open up a chance for us to sing and to declare and to worship. I want to open up a chance for us to, 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 to commune one with another. We have a prayer team over here. Please don't hear me. Please. I said before, you don't need to be prayed for anybody. You don't need to be prayed for me. It's true. But it's a blessing God gives us. Amen? I want to fix our thinking to think we need to do it. Like it's some sort of, well, I can't. I, I, no, no, no. It's a blessing. Come on. You don't need sriracha, but it's a blessing. <laughs> come on, come on. I mean, come on. God loves you. That's why he invented garlic. Right? So we're going to open up communion. We're going to let we're going to let those who would like prayer, and that's open. Come on. It's open to anyone and everyone. It's open to, to, to all people. We would love the chance to pray for you. We're going to commune that way, commune one with another with the Lord through our relationship one with another. We're also going to open up the table of the Lord. We're going to open up communion. We take by method known as in teaching where we take a piece of bread or we have gluten-free wafers on the side. We dip in the juice and partake. Listen, these tables are open to all who've put their faith in Jesus. You don't have to agree with our theology like me, think our worship is good, want to ever come back here again. doesn't matter. We would love it. If you're a part of the family, we would love to share the family meal with you. This is the family meal. This is the meal given to the family. As such, it's a meal given to the family. So here's what I want to say. If you're here and you're still exploring Jesus, church, gospel, all this stuff, I mentioned to you before that my message is really only for Christians, but I told you there's an on-ramp you thought I forgot. I didn't. I told you there's an on-ramp to get you back to the beginning. Here's that on-ramp. Our family is the most exclusively inclusive family on the planet. Our family has promises that only apply to our family, but our family welcomes all who want to be a part of our family. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. There is a way made for you. There is forgiveness for you. There is righteousness for you. If, if, if while I was preaching, you something was stern on the inside of you. I know there's some of you going like, man, I want that to be true about me. How is that, how is that true about, how could that be true about me? It can be true about you because through repentance and faith, we begin to trust in his righteousness, not our own. Not the stuff that I can make on my own, but the stuff that he gives me as a gift. Repentance and faith simply means to admit and abandon. Come on, I admit and I abandon that all of my self-effort and all of my self-righteousness and all of my self-rebellion and all of my self-rejection, all of that has amounted to nothing of value. It has brought nothing but death into my life. We admit that and we abandon it. And then we believe, we have faith, we put our trust, we embrace and entrust our lives to Jesus. We trust who he says he is and what he says he's done is enough for us. Apart from our works, what God's done is enough. It means I don't need all this stuff, this list that I think I need. All these behaviors that I think I have to have in order to be happy. All of these things I have to, I have to accomplish, all this stuff I have to amass. None of that means anything. He's all that I need. 
He's everything. The Bible says when we do that, when we admit we abandon in an instant, we go from being dead spiritually to being alive spiritually. We go, we go, listen, this is my favorite. We go from making ourselves enemies of God, putting ourselves in opposition to him, to him wrapping his arms around us and making us his family. Did you hear me? Not just letting us live in his house, but he actually makes us his family. So we share his righteousness. If you're here, I would plead with you to repent and believe. And if you're doing that, you want to, I would love it if you'd let us know. We have, we have some resources we'd love to get to you to help you understand what this whole newness thing is. Dives into some of what I've taught here today. will help you kind of figure, you know, understand it and help, help, help that be something that begins to transform your life. We'd love to send you those. Whether you ever come back here or not, that, that's not the point. We'd just love to give you some stuff to help you along in your journey. We'd love to welcome you into the family of God. But I think the biggest thing that we need to do this morning is just take some time to contemplate and let this revelation, let this, let this declaration, you are forgiven and you are righteous. You, you are. You are. You say, no, I'm anxious and I'm afraid. No, you are forgiven and you are righteous. So no, I'm an addict and I'm struggling. No, 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 you are forgiven and you are righteous. You say, no, no, I'm broke and I'm confused. No, 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 you are forgiven and you are righteous. That's who you are. And let that purge you of any other identity. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Thank you for the revelation of righteousness. Thank you for the declaration of righteousness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. God, would you just speak to every heart today that they would hear your voice declaring their righteousness in Jesus' name. Church, let's respond to the Lord.